I think we're on the internet. Hello, internet. This is the game brought to you by Dungeon Studios. Uh, I'm your host, Grom, Grumpy Old Man Merwin. Merwin, geez, I can't talk tonight. Same as always. Joined, as always, by my co-host, a man who proves that there is nothing wrong with getting high on your own supply, Dr. Pretorius. Doc, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing okay. Doing okay. Uh, wonderful. And uh, hopefully, uh, assuming the technology holds up, we have not one, not two, but three guests from Brazil, fellow gamers, nerds, and creators, the guys behind the Hour of the Raven. And, and Black Feather. And yeah. Black Feather. Yeah, so let me go ahead and take a moment to introduce, and I apologize if my pronunciation sucks, uh, Pedro, Gabriel, and Leandro. Uh, say hi to the internet, guys. Hi, everyone. Hello, greetings. Good evening. I'm Pedro. Wonderful. That actually worked. Thanks, guys. Uh, as everyone knows, this is the worst produced podcast and web show on the internet. Uh, today was no different, uh, but we got everybody in, and uh, we're going to fire this up. Uh, just for our regulars, all one of you out there listening, just want to let everyone know we'll be uh, condensing our format a little bit. We didn't realize that uh, these poor guys are up way later than we are. So uh, it's going to be fast. It's going to be furious. It's going to be fun, I hope. Uh, and let's just get right into it. But before I let our guests talk, it's got to do our shameless plug. Otherwise, the boss yells at us really quick, everybody. We want to remind you to check out uh, our website, DungeonStudios.co, where you can pick up our adventures, check out the Enron Chronicle for free, uh, see some of the upcoming projects and things that we have going on, including collaborations with some artists, some other YouTubers, uh, and whatnot. Um, join our Discord, check us out. You can hang out, play games, uh, potentially write for us, create for us, or at least hang out. You get to hear all the disaster that we do prior to the show and during it when everything goes horribly wrong. <laughs> Always looking for test players. <clears throat> Always looking for right? test players Always too. Yep. Test players. And then and then if you're a YouTuber or you're promoting something, uh, reach out to us too at, at our Discord. We'd love to hear from you, get you on the show. Yeah, we certainly would. Uh, a couple things, like we said before, we're working on a new project, The Fables of the Forgotten. We're in we're trying we're chugging along towards post production. We're getting there. Uh, we hope to have that obscene, uh, up soon. Sorry, obscene, obscene. Is it yeah, be obscene. Is it going to be obscene? Well, it usually is, yeah. But uh, <laughs> we also have uh, some new stuff out there. Deception checks, a series of short prank phone calls, but with a fantasy twist. So check those out. Uh, and again, find us on the uh, find us on all of the socials. Just a reminder: like, share, and subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel. Check us out on Facebook Live. Give us a thumbs up and share it with your friends. So. Uh, with that out of the way, to our guests, uh, I know you guys got a lot of projects. We like to do our shameless plug early because we stream this show live. So I want to give you three the floor, whichever one of you wants to go. I want you to have the opportunity to shameless plug your own stuff. Tell us about what you're working on, where people can find you, and what do you have coming up and coming out. Okay, let me go first. Uh, uh, my name is Gabriel. I run the Hour of the Raven YouTube channel and uh, the podcast with the same name uh, with videos about the lore of the Ravenloft setting. Ravenloft has been a passion of mine, so I went deep in the lore when I was younger and now I, I get to express this passion with videos I made for about the lore of the setting. And we also have the Black Feather it's a group of Ravenloft fans, and we are writing uh, products for DMs Guild with the Ravenloft setting in mind. 
We just launched our first project, the Dread Space, a crossover between Ravenloft and Spelljammer. But we got a few other projects coming up as well. Very nice, very nice. Anything else you guys uh, want to plug? Pedro, Leandro? Hello. My name is Leandro Zerbinato de Oliveira. And for many years, I had a Ravenloft website, a fan site. It was called just ravenloft.com.br. And we produced many fan-made netbooks for, for the Brazilian fans of Ravenloft. And the website ended in 2013. But my passion for Ravenloft it remains. So, some years ago, I, I met Gabriel, Pedro, and Rafael, that is our, another member from the Black Feather. And we started producing material for DMs Guild. Did you guys did you guys meet at a table or did you guys meet No no, no. <laughs> no it was online Gabriel Gabriel posted a link about uh, Hour of the Raven and I, I talked to him. I, I said, Well, I, I had a Ravenloft fan site. You know? okay. I liked his videos and we started to develop ideas. Okay, okay. And we are uh, different uh, states of right. Brazil. Right. Okay. So, uh, anything? Do you have any projects or anything, Pedro, besides the Black Feather that you work on? Hi, I'm Pedro, and I'm the graphic designer of the project. Okay. I'm not the writer, but I help you with with some creative stuff. And start from English. <laughs> no, 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 no worries, English. man. Uh, at Dungeon Studios, we got people from all over, so we're used to it. Please take your time. Take your time. <laughs> Uh, I'm a big fan of Ravenloft. I've started with 5e, 5th uh, edition, and I knew and dive uh, at Ravenloft uh, via Gabriel's channel. Okay, okay. Huh? Now you said you're a graphic designer. Uh, do you do yeah. other projects besides Dungeons and Draft Dragons that you want to promote graphic designing wise? No, uh, I'm work, working right now with UX designer and UI designer for crypto websites and NFT websites. Okay. So, not nothing about RPG. Okay. okay. Pedro well, is the one that makes our books look sexy. Uh, so wait, so Pedro, are you re are you responsible for that sweet ass red sh uh, ship cover for the uh, for your? Um... Uh, Dread Space, did you do that? Yeah, me and Leandro helping us with the 3, 3G models, but I'm the graphic things. Yeah, so no, that AI helps. Okay, <laughs> let me tell you something. That no, that cover is is amazing. So good yeah. job on that, guys. Okay. Oh no, not not a problem. So we got, we touched a little bit on you guys' backstory, and really quick, as far as the the English is concerned, don't sweat it. English is my first language, but only barely. Um, nobody can understand me either, and, and I've been here my whole life. So, um, but uh, you guys sound good to me. So, yeah. So let's get uh, let's get into it now. Normally, uh, Doc and I have given up our nerd cred, kind of our origin story as gamers, um, you know, and we always give uh, our guests the opportunity to lay out the same. So I'm interested uh, a lot because uh, you're the first gamers from Brazil that I've ever encountered and talked to. So I'm curious if your starting point was similar to ours. I know Gabriel sent over some info to Doc earlier 
and it seemed pretty standard. Got the game as a kid, and I won't spoil your intro, but uh, you know, it lined up with what we did, um, you know, as you. So I'm just curious how you guys got into the game and and got from when you started to where you are now. So yeah, I started in 1994. I was 10, and uh, on Christmas, my cousin got the Dungeons and Dragons uh, box set. It was the basic uh, edition, the uh, the first edition, I guess, uh, that was released in Brazil. And he didn't like it, the game, but I was uh, <laughs> I was crazy about it. So uh, in the next years, I began to collect and read everything I could find that was, uh, I guess, fantasy related or RPG related. And I read a lot of fantasy, uh, fighting fantasy books from Steve Jackson's uh, and Ian Livingston. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and until I, I finally got the game myself and began to to preach the word of RPG to my friends. So well, where um, did you get the game? Like I always tell a story of, you know, I had to go to this toy store and where did you like actually acquire besides the one you got at Christmas? You said you started trying to get stuff. Yeah. Uh, the one my cousin got on Christmas, I stayed just a little weeks with, with it on my hands because he's not from my city and he, he went back to his city and take the, the, the box with him. And after that, I began to, to uh, bother my, 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 my parents to buy me the book. <laughs> and they, they, oh. I, I, may, I must have done something right because they bought me the book. Uh, first, they got me the fighting fantasies uh, uh, books yep. because it was cheaper than the whole box set. And, okay. Uh, but uh, I keep kept going. It was a passion. So later they bought bought me the the box with the basic edition, and uh, a few years later, the when Advanced Dungeons and Dragons finally got here, I think it was '96, '97. Uh, I got the player handbook. So. Uh, like, I, that was just right? mind blowing, yeah. And yeah. I'm into it until today. So uh, yeah. So do you get? So do you guys have like dedicated game stores? Um, like you know, in, in at least in the cities or in your areas, do you have to travel for those, or do you guys have to just like order stuff and it comes in? in? My city, we used to have a big store dedicated to to RPG. It was two stores in the whole city. But uh, nowadays we don't have it anymore. Uh, internet made everything uh, cheaper to buy on online. I guess Amazon just destroyed them. Do you remember the name of the store? What the name of the store might have been? In, in my city, it yeah. was uh, the store was named Leitura. It was a bookstore, and they had a, a whole floor just for RPG. Do you know how does that translate? Do you know how does that translate in English? Uh, reading. Just the name reading. of the store was Reading. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So th that's my experience. But uh, we are from different parts of Brazil here. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we are close, but not that close. So I guess uh, the other guys must have different experience. Brazil is huge. Well, I, mean, I will try to be fat because the story is long. It's, it's my lifetime. Uh, since I was a kid, I, I was into gaming. My father was very. Wait, 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 people. wait. So when were you a kid? Let's get the timeline. When were you a kid? I'm the one. I'm the keeper of time. 
So when are you? When were you a kid? Well, in the eighties. Okay, okay, okay. I was a kid in the seventies, so I'm a little bit older than you, but we're okay. Okay, go ahead. My father was was a fan of technology, so since I was very young, we had a MSX computer in home. I started with the electronic games. Oh, okay. But I, uh, I was also very passionate for medieval fantasy. Uh, from movies like Crew and Willow and the like. Yep. And I, I always saw at the, the Toy Stories and Dungeons and Dragons and Hero Quest. And I asked my father to buy for me. But he said, no, that these games are too complicated for you to understand. And he never purchased the game. And so, when I was nine, I asked my grandmother to purchase the game for me. Since my father was not purchased, I asked my grandmother. And she brought me Dungeons and Dragons. It was then I started playing. I read the books and started DMing. Um, many of my friends never knew about role-playing games, so I, I brought them in and started DMing from them, for them. Um, it's got like an instant, instant group, instant instant group. Hey, check this out. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then I, I I had met the Dungeons and Dragons settings like Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, there was very few books in Portuguese. I, I believe Forgotten Realms, Mitara, and and this. But I I saw Ravenloft in in a booklet. And I became passionate by Ravenloft, the, the, the dark, the mystery, the horror. And finally, one day, I, I found the game in, a, in an auction of two second-hand games. Oh, wow. And I paid, I paid seven reais. Uh, today, today, it's like uh, a little more than one dollar uh, in the black box. And then I started a campaign of Ravenloft. That's my passion to, to this day. Oh, you're st- that game still is going to this day? No, no. It, it, it started in the middle of the 90s and ended in 2009. That's a, that's a long run. Good for you. <laughs> 15 years of campaign. Uh, after it ended, I, I ran another, another systems, another settings for some time. And in 2018, I started another Ravenloft campaign. How, how many domains did they cross? Oh, in the first campaign, all of them. Oh, my God. It was from <sighs> 735 Baravan Calendar to 775 Baravan Calendar. Basically, all, all the, the story of the setting. Nice. Oh. It's, <laughs> that, that is, uh, I love hearing those stories. I... The best I've gotten was about uh, is a, a two year kind of run, and that was that was miraculous to get people back for two years straight. <clears throat> and you're at fifteen, so good for you. I need I need some tips. Yeah. I need some tips on how, on how you did it. Not the same players. There was a rotation between the players, but we did it. Nice. All right, Pedro, how'd you get started? Hey. Uh... I don't have a, I don't have a great, great story, but everyone's story <laughs> is great. They're just uh, different. Come on, come on! Don't I started uh, at fifth edition. Uh, I just bought uh, the monster manual at a sale at Amazon online. 
Hmm? And I, I was reading the book and I wait, wait, stop, it. stop, stop. So you were not even Dungeons and Dragons? You're just like, I'm going to buy this monster manual on Amazon? Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, go ahead. So the design and uh, I like some fantasy stuff. Cool, uh, uh, cool. I'm a huge fan of fantasy and got horror. And I think it, this attracted me. And I, I was just reading and I just called some friends and reunited and say, I'm going to DM this <laughs> and you'll be my players. <laughs> so I didn't know the rules. I just uh, disseminated the, the creativity and the game it just runs. So uh, I bought so the, the player's handbook and other books. And I've learned the, the system with more accuracy and I've started to uh, research for some settings and play some uh, modules, some, uh, some yeah. uh, adventures, what do official you adventures. Do you do any homebrewing or do you prefer adventures? I start with uh, the written adventures, the official adventures. So I just saw the Curse of Trudge and I liked it so much. And I started to researching more and more and I knew the Gabriel's channel I'm the, uh, a fan of him okay and my uh, the first domain that I love it is Haslan the domain of the red wizard I have a campaign campaign right now and so <laughs> no it's great is it <laughs> that's great I, no no it's great that's good. You, all, it's... you all are into the gothic horror too. It's interesting, uh, and you're all from different places. And then you all met through uh, Gabriel's YouTube channel, uh, yeah. Which is which is how I met him uh, myself uh, with my Chronic Explorers. The same thing. Uh, so that's just Doc, it. Doc is right. Doc is downplaying the fact that he is super geeky excited about you guys because he loves the Ravenloft. He hasn't he hasn't stopped going on about this for like weeks. Well, I, I I was telling Gabriel when we come on I was going to set up how I knew him, but I'm sure I have talked about it every show. I am sure I've already said it a billion times. Hey, no, it's nothing wrong with that. Actually, uh, so like I said, um, you know, let's just slide right into the weekend gaming. So you guys all run your own games. I run mine. Uh, yeah. But you know, since Doc has got the the Raven Brew going on, and that's what our main topic is. I'm going to give the floor to him and you guys. So, uh, Doc, what would you play this week? Well, we were in Castle Ravenloft, and uh, I let the players bring in the players that had been separated in the Sea of Sorrows. Um, they had a brain with them that is Esmeralda, but there was another version of Esmeralda with them in the castle. And they got a choice who could leave the ship and join the party uh, in the castle. And it's funny because one of the players actually chose to stay in the Sea of Sorrows with the living ship. Um, and that was A-Rock, the half-orc. Um, he had gotten cursed in like the first adventure early on uh, by ghost voices. And he just re rolled that critical one forever uh, for almost a year of the campaign. And he said, 
his character was a seafarer at heart and he had to be back at the sea. So it was kind of neat to see a character get retired uh, well, or sort of left behind in that way. So we sort of have a dead end. Everyone else jumped in and their card reading was stuff was in the crypt. So they left the mirror room and they were going to head down, head down, head down. Uh, got into the bone chamber and we have a very, very boneheaded paladin. Um, it Oh, wait. It also was fire. Somebody made comment during the day that it was Fireball Whiskey Day, National Fireball Whiskey Day. <laughs> so, so, so someone else in the group went out and bought a case of Fireball Testers. So his character made some, uh, um, what do you want to call them? Bad moves, kicked the door. And of course, you know, the vampire spawn were just all over them uh, downstairs. Um, and then they wanted to rest and then they couldn't rest. They backed themselves all the way back up to the mirror room. And I have two players um, that are very familiar with the old Strahd. Um, and uh, they bumped in, uh, I forget, they bumped into somebody and they, and they remembered the heart chamber and then they're heading back to the heart chamber because like all of a sudden, a whole bunch of them were fireball metagaming uh, and they're headed back into the heart chamber. And, and then I said, all right, you know what? We're going to stop here because I got to roll initiative and, and you guys need to finish the fireballs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so it should be very interesting uh, where they're at now. Um, and, and Gabriel can attest that everything I have done has sort of been a blend of uh, all the versions and sort of my own version as well. So uh, I'm very excited as we move forward uh, in. And then my chronic explorers, I'm sad to say, were in the cavern of the drowned god and we were going to have our conclusion. Uh, but we had a bunch of folks call in sick. Um, we had a new player that also didn't make it in for their beginning session. So we just pushed a week. Uh, but that's the way that goes. Stay positive, guys, uh, if you're listening in tonight. Uh, that's all we can do when we're when we're hurting. And uh, who wants to go first? Leandro, Pedro, Gabriel. Who wants to go? We can, oh, we can go. Uh, I'm currently DMing a Ravenloft campaign. My story is very similar to the first campaign of Leandro. It's an ongoing campaign that is almost 18 years now. Oh my God! Started in 2005. And uh, we went to all the major events of Ravenloft, the Grand Conjunction, the, the Green Harvest, and the time of Unparalleled Darkness. And now I have, uh, after all these events, they have destroyed this, the Demiplane of Dread. So we are on a D&D multiverse hopping. They are going from setting to setting. They went to Planescape, they went to... Greyhawk, Dark Sun, Dragonlance, and they are trying to avoid some cosmic horror entity that was the reason the Dark Powers created Ravenloft to wake up and destroy reality. So I went to a gothic horror campaign, to a cosmic horror campaign in the D&D multiverse. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I, I'm shitting in my comments because I haven't played this week. We play once a month because uh, it's a long campaign and 
everyone got uh, uh, a lot of. Uh, we have difficult to to schedule everyone. Yeah, that's always that's always the big issue. Yeah. It's uh, in person. What? It's in person. Is it an in-person game? He's asking. No, it began in person, uh, but, but since COVID, we are playing online. But we plan to get back in person uh, a few months from now. We decided to finish an, an arc of the history as we started online, and then get back uh, to to meet in person again. But we, I have the same players from 2005, and that's that's crazy. Well, no, and, and it's great that you guys, even you know, it's tough to meet, but that everybody makes that one date that month. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Us, uh, some of the guys' uh, wives of girlfriends kind of hate me because <laughs> the, when we schedule the date, the guys say, "No, this day I can't go because I have you know, the campaign and everything." But they understand eventually. But at first, they hate me. But that's okay. It's only one. They got. It's only one day a month. Come on, hon. Yeah. Come on, hon. <laughs> one day a month. We play one day a month, but we are a bit crazy. We play like twelve hours straight. Big oh. long day. Yep. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, it. See, the fact it was one day a month, and we played the whole day since two o'clock to, to late hours. In the... Oh, I remember. I, I remember those. It's great. I remember. I remember. I remember those days being younger when it was, you'd get together and you'd have that all day break for lunch, you know, just get back into it and just these long, long sessions. Man, I I miss that. Um, you know the the modern sentiment of doing like two two yeah. to four hour chunks. It's like that's it's fun. It's good. It's got its it's got its benefits. But man, the the good old days are hard to get by. So hard to get hard to get over. You know. The difference that we, we are not young anymore, so everyone complains. But, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So you're on, uh, Leandro. You're on your second long-running campaign now. Would you guys, do you guys get together the same kind of thing or weekly? I am all there now. I, I can't I can't run longer campaigns. One two years. No more than that. Gotcha. And I'm running a an Ebe home campaign. And my players just escaped from Ravenloft. I had sent them to the Demiplane in a dark version of Sire, the, the Mornlands of Ebehom. Okay. And they, they just escaped the Demiplane and returned to Ebehom. And soon they would discover that some years had passed when they were away. Oh, okay, okay. Have you connected uh, the train in Eberron? The... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I love that I that whole concept. I'm I'm, get, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Nice. All right, we're going to we're going to Pedro now. Okay. Uh, so uh, I'm running once a week uh, Riveloft campaign, my first homebrew campaign in Hasland. That's what I was asking <laughs> about. That nice. It's doing good. Uh, I have five players, and the players get arrested at the tables. The worst place to stay in Hesland. They are dealing with some some creatures, strange creatures, twisted humans and some horrific creations of Haslick and his apprentice. And he's trying to escape this place. Just because they think some great uh, about the the uh, ritual that Haslick plans to do. 
and they are trying to discover that and and try not to to let him do this so they are they're dealing some with some creatures some hard uh, some hard to fight creatures and some gothic horror questions about his sufferings about his boys about his crimes and uh, every npc every creature has a story there i was, was going to say it sounds like there's all big big threads getting woven together yeah like, uh, they meet a, a chimera that was a russian woman that tried to escape from Haslik's hands and she was transformed uh, uh, member by member uh, uh, foot and head until she turned completely to a chimera oh. and she suffered this and they can't uh, they can can't uh, free the free her so she asked to kill her kill her Ooh, that's yes. dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my, my mind, but you know, you're talking about the, you know, that whole uh, chimera and using, you know, like sort of that desert. I haven't gone there yet. And I'm like, oh my God, there's so many things I'm thinking about now. This sounds so exciting. It sounds great. It sounds great. And, and then I explained the, the tables, dungeons, that are, there are some challenges. And they are uh, running out. Uh, of Eleni, his Haslik's apprentice. And she's like hunting them in the corridors and the rooms. Like he, like, uh, as they, they need to deal with some creatures and deal with the hunt. So there's a urgency. Nice, very nice. They can't lose time. They can't rest all the time. And this is a weekly group? Is this a weekly yes. group you meet with? It's very nice. So, what I really like about Pedro as a DM is that uh, me and Leandro, we are like old school, old guys. But he used a lot of interesting assets in his in his DM. I have watched him DM a, yeah. a, a session before. And he, he create uh, digital maps for, for the players. He, he hired some artists to do to do some some yeah. images for his campaign so he really is invest in this technology and, and art design and, and everything for his players yeah i'm a graphic designer so well, i was gonna say you know the coming coming at it i always talk about creativity with dungeons and dragons you know there's people who make dice and there's people who are map yeah. makers and but everybody kind of comes at it with a different skill set and like your skill set you're bringing something new to the table that's, you know, yeah. and like someone like Gabriel has been doing it, you know, you're bringing something new to the table, you know, do it, uh, you know, create, create, create. I, I love to encourage people like that and, and share, share, uh, and I want to see your maps. So, same here. I'm interested. We, yeah, I, we, uh, for my week, man, uh, one of my friends, uh, from home decided, uh, he was going to, dip his toe into running a game and uh has been setting up for a couple of weeks and 
Uh, we're just doing the uh, Stormwreck Isles, the the starter set. But we show up, sit down. The man built a pirate. He built the ship we were on. No like, way. Yeah. Oh yeah. No yeah. So I can tell you uh, from experience as somebody who has ran games for a long time and uh, who's played only infrequently, the anything that you do to improve the production value of your game goes a million miles. You don't think it's that much, but having that cool map, uh, I'm a I paint. I'm a nerd. I'm a miniature painter. Like <laughs> miniatures, terrain, the ship, just uh, you know that extra thing. It just it just elevates the whole game. So don't don't think a little bit doesn't go a long way with your players, man. So that's funny good for you. That, that was funny for me. Was doing my mixed media pieces for each adventure I do, and that's how I actually got involved with Gabriel. Was I started saying. Hey, can I do any digital stuff for you? Like, I'd I'd love to do some digital work for you, and and then we just stayed in correspondence. So it was great. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. So yeah, I had a, and it's, you know, if my buddies listen to this, I had a great time. I told my uh, uh, the new DM, you know, good job. It was we, you know, table had a good time. Everybody laughed, and that's really the most important thing. I did, however, end my night. Slipping on the ice and slamming down with my broken old body uh, on my gimpy hip on top of my phone. And I really thought then, like now, I needed to take a trip to the doctor's office. So, Doc, what do you got for us? <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Good lead in. I was trying to figure out how to work that in there. What do you got All for right. us this week, buddy? So what, I, what I have for you this week, again, when, when we got together before we were doing our sound check and is talking to gabriel i i was very ignorant to time zone um where these guys were in brazil and then i went back and was like where where specifically is gabriel how do you pronounce where you are specifically i am from belo horizonte uh, it's a city you. in brazil in the state of minas gerais yeah and then it's like you know it's like oh my god there's gotta be so much all right and, and leandro where are you at I'm from São Paulo in the state of São Paulo. All right, all right, and then Pedro. I'm uh, I'm also from São Paulo, but uh, different city. Okay, different. City. Not the capital. All right, so then, so then it was like, all right, let's coordinate everything. And then Merwin, you were like, okay, what time is the show starting? And I'm like, we need to start at nine. These guys are starting later. Blah blah blah. So I decided we would look at uh, time zones. And we would look at daylight savings time as well. They're sort of interconnected issues. Do you guys, anybody, I'll ask you guys first before I do my intro, and this is open to Merwin, or you guys know anything about the history of or anything you want to talk about time zones or daylight <coughs> savings time before I well, give you this to me? Let's start with this. Do you guys do daylight savings time in Brazil? I know not every country does it. Correct. Uh, we used to do. Uh, we have a, a summer. Summer uh, during summer we advanced. I, I don't remember now if we advanced. <laughs> we got back with the clock, but we changed the time uh, in hmm? one hour, so we yeah, could one hour. Uh, get a, a little more more daytime. But uh, next, our, our last president, uh, you might heard of him, uh, the Bolsonaro. He was against this, and so he he we not have this anymore. I don't know if it will get back, but he he just issued a decree, and 
ended the just summer. just like that, huh? Yeah. No more daylight. They don't like this. Yeah, we've we've been uh yeah in the states. There's a lot of places that have been going back and forth for years about it. And there's I think there's one state that doesn't do it, just refuses to. Uh, and the rest yeah, yeah, of us they, just get in line. Yeah, so yeah, I was, I'll go into that a little bit now. I, I was also a little bit worried about you guys when uh, I saw that whole Brazil thing going down. I'm not a big news person because I'm not supposed to watch it for stress. And then all of a sudden I heard everything. You guys were all safe. Is yeah, that like, yeah. all right, everybody's like cool with that. All right. And, uh, Merwin, anything else? Daylight savings time, time zones, you know, have any particular info? Just, uh, I believe it was done to uh, accommodate... Um, like harvest, I think just a little extra time to work on the farms. I think that's what it started as, but I don't know a whole lot about it. All right. So daylight savings time. And this is, this is interesting. Um, when you talk about daylight savings time, um, and you talk about, um, time zones, you remember explorers started going around the earth and they invented the clock, uh, so they could keep track of time. But they always, whenever they were traveling, they set their own times, okay? Um, it was really in Canada where these things first got hold, believe it or not. Um, and daylight savings time was first used um, in 1808 in Thunder Bay, Canada. All right? Now, time zones actually came slightly before that, Um but they were um, 1883, and they were uh, by a gentleman named Sir Sanford Fleming, a Canadian engineer. Um, and his idea, he actually was the guy who divided the Earth into the 24 time zones. It oh, came interesting. Out, it came up with the 15 degrees of longitude apart. Um, and, and he went with that because he realized that the earth rotated 15 degrees every hour, right? I used to be a math teacher for the last 20 years, guys. So I'm like kind of digging this too, as much as Ravenloft, right? <laughs> um, and then what ended up happening was railroads were, were taking hold all over the planet and railroads just loved the idea of time zones and getting people to different cities, um, and this was the one that really, really got me. Um, Merwin, when do you think uh, everyone in the United States started to actually, like, follow standard time zones? Oh, it wasn't until, I think, the 60s or 70s, right? It was late. Um, the act- <laughs> Yeah, the actual act was passed in 1918. Oh, I was uh, way off. Yeah, no, no. They actually, uh, in this article, they talk about how there are still people who are not, who refuse to follow uh, setting clocks. Oh, I told you, there's there's one there's one state that just refuses to do it. Good for them. It's silly. So, so, so it's interesting. Um, it is in the United States. It is um, goes up for Congress every year, but keeps getting turned down. Um, and they just want to definitely turn it down. Um, and then, of course, it became really, really popular um, during World War One Because it really got everybody unified to uh, communicate uh, as well. And then it was adopted by more and more countries 
uh, after that. But then it's funny now when you look at the stats, uh, out of 195 countries in the world, 23 have at least two distinct time zones within them. How many time zones you guys have? I think we have three. Three? three Minus time. three. Okay. How um, many do we have in the U.S.? Uh, well, we have four mainland. Yeah. And then, then you uh, have Alaska oh. and Hawaii, which... So I think they say we have six. But doesn't I think I think Alaska crosses two, but one we're already in. Is that right, Merwin? Uh, Alaska's gigantic, and it's in it's at the it's at the tippy top of the world. So, so I I think it crosses a couple. It gets thinner up yeah. there, so it gets yeah. it gets a couple cheesy. Yeah. Now the country with the most is funny is twelve with France, but they also claim their foreign territories and their islands still. Um, Russia is continuous with eleven. Um, oh, sorry. U.S. is saying nine official with two unofficial, whatever that, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, and that the Trans-Siberian Railway, yeah. this would be a great one for a, a gothic adventure, travels between Russian cities of Moscow and I'm going to say this wrong, Vladivostok passes ten distinct time zones over a six-day journey. It's uh, Vladivostok. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Um, and then, of course, China <laughs> holds the record for actually being five time zones. They only claim they're one, but they have sex that just ignore government time, too, and have five separate, like, bootleg uh time zones that no one talks about all right so let me see if i can summarize this uh some canadian ruined the world for everyone and now we're all suffering <laughs> you got that money, eh? yeah i uh, i, I will player. definitely say what's that gabriel i have a player of my campaign that lives in us so every time we must schedule each month we have to check uh, his hours because Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. He began to play in here with us, personal, in person. But he moved to the U.S. and now he plays online. When we get in person, he also plays online because it's impossible. (laughs) A bit of a bit of a commute for a game. Well, I will say, uh, in all that, the uh, the idea of having uh, having a game. We always try to relate the stuff to nerd terms. Having a game on a moving object. Where you keep repeating the same hour because you never get you can, the keeps like the clock keeps falling back. I definitely think that would be a, a kind of a trippy thing to do. We were just talking about that. I'm thinking about that with my train in Eberron, with the Siri train where it's going to be a loop. Of yeah, the yeah. loop of construction. Yeah. So, nice. And that is madness. All right. Well, hey, I know you guys are on a time crunch because it's super late there. So I want to get into. The, the meat and potatoes of tonight, some stuff that we had uh, set up. I sent you guys some questions just so you could uh, kind of look over. So, um, Doc, do you want to fire off the first one? you want me to pick one no, of mine? Go, what do you, you want to do? Ahead first. You go ahead first. All right. So, uh, one of the things that I'm very curious about, uh, you guys obviously fell in love with the Ravenloft setting. Um, so, do you guys play it like straight european setting kind of gothic horror in those in the domains of dread um you know do you guys incorporate things um 
that are different because uh, I don't. I was I was going through a little bit earlier today. I don't think that there is a like a Brazil analog domain that I'm aware of. I know they've had. I know they have uh, an Egyptian one, and uh, obviously a bunch of European ones. So um, is that something that you guys have added? So I guess let me just summarize the question. Um, do you guys just play the straight Gothic as it is in the book, or do you tweak the setting to reflect stuff from your own culture and and where you're from? Well, a little bit of both. Uh, sometimes I play Ravenloft, and I like to use the domains as they are written with European and uh, uh, influences. But there is one domain uh, that in third edition got a little of a South American uh, feel to it. That oh. is Valakan. Valakan is on the south of the, uh, of the core of Ravenloft. And before the third edition, it was a little bit uh, generic in terms of, of how it described the, the region. Uh, so during second edition, there was uh, some adventures that were that were released on the Dungeon Magazine, and they really described the the domain as a, a jungle with panthers and and more like a, a, a jungle from South America. And in third edition, the authors of the second from White Wolf, uh, they brought uh, some kind of colonial horror to it. So the history of Valakan became one of uh, there was an, a native people there and they were invaded by uh, colonizers from a distant land that they destroyed the, the, the environment, they exterminated the natives until the god the natives worshipped sacrificed himself, uh, himself and merged the, the colonizers and the native people of Valakan. So when you read the domain in the Ravenloft Gazetteer, mm-hmm. there are a lot of elements that resound with with uh, uh, Latin America uh, as a whole, uh, Central, just Aztec, uh, Mexico Aztec, to Argentina. Incan, Aztec or Incan kind of uh, ancient uh, Peruvian. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I, I DM an adventure in Valakan, uh, I I use this this sort of, of influence they they got in third edition to create some some horror themes from uh, Latin America, and I adapted there the brujeria. There it's a witch cult from a region of Chiloé in in uh, in Peru and Chile. They are, they are they are really spooky. If you look up to them, if you research the brujeria, it was a couple of witches that had a, a strong influence in the region, and they created some strange monsters known as the Invunche. Uh, it's amazing how how dark things get. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you look, what you look, yeah, it is yeah. true. It's true. And they also appear in a Hellblazer comics from the 90s. Uh, John Constantine fought them uh, in some, in some okay. of the issues. So it's, it's a really dark uh, themes, and, and South America has some really dark themes and folklore that I usually adapt when I'm using Valakan as a domain. That was that's that's my lead-in. Um, I usually talk about um, USA, we talk about urban legends. 
Uh, we talk about uh, the Goat Man and the Moth Man. Um, he's kind of really taken hold in American pop culture. Um, you can find one for every state. So I was wondering, are there any um, legends around where you guys live, uh, urban legends that have sort of sprung up that we don't know about here that kind of could fit into that whole fantasy world? Anybody who wants to chime in, feel free. Feel free. We have a lot of folklore from Brazil that can yeah, be a little bit scary. Uh, let me think some. Uh, we have the... Mula Sem Cabeça. Uh, Mula Sem Cabeça is a horse with no head. And instead of a head, there is fire coming out of, of the neck. And uh, if you... I don't remember exactly how you become a Mula Sem Cabeça. I think it's something about... Uh, a bite. Yeah. So, no, I think something about breaking your vows as a priest. Or, or being oh. a woman that seduced a priest. And then you became... This horse with no head and fire coming out of the neck. Uh, so so Black have... Feather's next book is going to be these monsters, right? Like... We are planning a book on, on, <laughs> yeah. on, on South <laughs> American teams. All right. Yeah, it's All a right. project for the future. We're not working on it right now, but this is a project we have. We are, we're, we were thinking about creating a whole cluster of domains inspired by by the Americas as a whole, not only uh, South, Central, and, and, and uh, South and Central America, but also North America as well. Uh, we have almost no domain inspired by by North American culture, except well, all, Sorang. All of Native American culture. You know, I don't know if you guys, they built in uh, Washington, D.C., they built a um, Native American museum. And, and I really have to say that it is not focused on just North American. It is all the whole span. It's, it's a really amazing museum, um, the way they set it up. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Uh, so I, I totally get what you're saying. There's so much culture there that's not uh, or has just been just suppressed. We don't talk about it. We don't, we don't even know most of it. Uh, yeah. It's sad. It's sad. Oh, it's around that time zone thing. Right around that 1870 trains going across, right? I mean, the, the clash of cultures uh, coming together right there. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, let me, so speaking of, uh, of local legends and monsters, do you, is there a vampire analog that's specific to you guys? Nobody has a, a dolphin man. Yes. That fucks. Married womans. <laughs> <laughs> so no va no vampire, but a rapey dolphin. That's what we got going on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, it's like a siren, but it's a, a, a okay. A, a, the name is Boto. It's like a, a river dolphin. Okay. In the northern regions of, of Brazil. Uh, when a, a woman got pregnant and she, and she couldn't explain, there was this legend that uh, the the boto, the river dolphin, it becomes uh, it, it becomes a man, and seduce uh, women uh, uh, to spread his his little uh, were beast dolphins. <laughs> so we don't have exactly a vampire, but we have a, a an undead. 
Okay. The name is Corpo Seco, or, or the dry body. And it's someone who came back from the grave because uh, he couldn't find rest. Uh, for uh, the, the reason why he couldn't find rest varies from region to region, but, but it's, uh, it's an interesting undead creature as well. Huh. And we have some curious creatures from the jungle. Uh, uh, the Kurupira, it's a man who is a guardian of the forest, but he has his, his feet uh, uh, inverted. So you can find him because uh, when you track him, uh, you will never find the, the right direction he's, he's because going. Because his feet are mixed up. Oh, yeah. that's great. That's great. His feet is backwards. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so, uh, you know, thinking about it, I know, I know now they're doing a lot with, um, um, like, area, a lot, it's called LIDAR, um, and are finding stuff hidden in the jungle all the time, massive cities and, and things that, you know, people just don't have access to. So I was I was gonna say I would I would have thought that having that you know all around you or in your backyard would be you know like I said would would, would be fertile ground for a, a domain of dread, but also the um, you know uh, your guys' influences for horror have got to be different than than ours. So uh, for us, it's a lot of um, you know you know what's out in the dark, and we're used to being in cities and areas where you don't you don't have that wild anymore you know no, nobody's worried about a, a a wolf running out of the you know out of the forest and dragging you off to die you know that you know so for us it's a lot of body horror type stuff that's i think where the vampire comes from or buried alive mm -hmm. and um that that kind of stuff so for you guys you're i mean again um you have the amazon there it's you know it's massive it's this massive unexplored jungle um, so is that where your horror influences come that, you know, the, you know, what's out there in the forest or getting law, like that kind of stuff. Do you have specific horror stories around the jungle that are, that influence why you guys are into horror and, um, the, the culture behind it? Not, not exactly. Uh, this could be an influence as well, but, uh, we, uh, they are, they live in Sao Paulo and I in Belo Horizonte, there are big cities as well. Yeah. So around us, there is this urban environment. But if you take Brazil as a whole, there are regions in our country that are still uh, uh, completely wild. So if yeah. you go to the Amazon, uh, they, you probably uh, find some different horror folklore and cultures there. Then if you go to our region, there is the most urbanized region from, from the country. So there is everything. Uh, what I think about Brazil, there is really interesting in terms of influences. That it got some really strong European influence because of the colonization. Uh, we got the native influence because of the, the indigenous people that, that live mm -hmm. here, still live here. And uh, shamefully, Brazil was the, the place where most slaves were brought from, from Africa. So it's a shame for our country, but we have strong influence from African cultures as well. So here is really a mixing pot of uh, different parts of the world. And you can find folklore and, and, and myths from, uh, from African folklore, from European folklore, and from uh, South American uh, native, native tribes and, and people folklore. And Even it's all Asian. Mixed up. Yeah. 
It's interesting too because I think about you know African folklore just like in New Orleans and and how that influenced that area, and now you're talking about this. There are probably completely different influence on mm-hmm. different you know the different cultures meeting. Oh my God, yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. So, so do you guys have? So what do you guys have for, um, for, um, magic? Like, you know, so obviously, like the Caribbean, which is, uh, you know, there's a lot of Africans. You get the voodoo and that kind of stuff. We have that in New Orleans. Um, you get a lot of, uh, you know, shamanism and spiritualism, you know, from the Native American cultures. And then obviously, all the, all the, the witches and warlocks and stuff we brought over from Europe. Um, so, what do you, what do you guys have as far as uh, magic type stuff that is unique to your where you live in Brazil? Uh, I know you mentioned the the bruja, the witches, as one. The Brujeria is from yeah. Chile and, and Peru, I think, for the region of Chiloé. Uh, the natives, uh, the native uh, tribes from Brazil, uh, they are very different in, in culture. They, uh, I don't know the, the number exactly, but there are more than uh, thousands of different tribes of, of native indigenous people in Brazil. So they are not exactly the same. But most of the of the practices go around uh, shamanism, okay. and uh, so uh, their the religion uh, auto complex. Uh, they are they go to this method of of uh, transcending uh, spirit and, and communicating with nature and spirits and something like that. And uh, of course, we have a strong influence from uh, Europe. The folklore and religion. Uh, Brazil, Brazil is a really, uh, is I, I believe is the biggest Catholic country uh, in the world. Uh, so uh, most of of people here are, are Christians uh, or declare Christians, but African religions has a, has a strong influence in Brazil as well. So uh, as you talk about uh, uh, New Orleans, mm-hmm. that we have the 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 uh, Haitian, uh, Haitian right, right. religion influencing there, uh, the whole uh, uh, voodoo. Here we have uh, some religions that are inspired by by African religions, uh, or inspired. They are they are African religions, or they are inspired by African religions. Uh, they are religions created in Brazil, inspired by African African uh, folklore and religion. So we have Umbanda, Candomblé. They are uh, what a, there are syncretism, a lot of syncretism here, a lot of elements of European and African cultures and Native American uh, uh, religion as well are, are meshed together. What a mixing, uh, you know, yeah, they're yeah. Coming, it's coming very right complex. A melting pot. Yeah, that's yeah. very interesting. And, and uh, you know, all this talk where I'm thinking about now, just even in a D and D game like conflicts between races. I don't think I play up all that different stuff as much and like influences from, I don't, I, I could put so much more of that into my game. Just talking about someone from a different culture. Uh, it's neat to think about it. Yeah. Well, I have a, I have a handful of, uh, of culture questions that, uh, for that, I, that will, that I want to get to, but let me ask you one, uh, well, two more, I guess, um, about, the uh, the products and whatnot. So, um, before I ask you about the Spelljammer Ravenloft crossover, which is a cool idea, um, you had mentioned colonial horror. Um, 
that's so obviously that you know that's that's a, a term that is um not you know obviously is unique to areas that were colonized um so how big you know so do you guys stay away from that um you know in, in your settings like you said you know with the you know being one of the large the largest slave importer um historically like is that stuff that you guys avoid putting in games because it's a, a sensitivity or do you guys use that colonial horror and all that kind of stuff um in your storytelling you know to create that you know atmosphere of horror is that something that you guys get into or avoid well i, I don't avoid i don't know the other guys i don't avoid but i have uh i have talked with my players uh about this since we are we are teenagers so it's not a problem in my table and i know that uh in other tables uh this can be problematic i know people have different uh, experience in life and so some subjects can be uh, traumatizing and and we must take care with that uh this is this has not been a problem for me because i play with uh, the same group of friends since, yeah they've been playing so long yeah yeah, yeah and we, we kind of know each other and the limits of each other and it's this is not a problem for us so uh oh my, my in my tables things can get really dark in, in a lot of of teams uh but as to to write something uh today uh, we have to take care we have to think about that because uh, how it will be received not everyone will receive it in the same way so uh we know this is a sense a sensible topic and we must treat it treat it with care if we are going to abort it to 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 treat it uh but colonial horror is is something that uh we almost must think about what happened in the americas was just like a sci-fi horror movie yeah, yeah. when aliens get there and kill everyone and take yeah. everything because they just can uh, in some ways the clash of cultures uh, if you look from the perspective of the natives you were in your home your world and someone came from a distant land and they brought uh pain suffering and and and, and exchange as well uh not just only just pain and suffering but to them it was the first contact was a very hard and painful one i read somewhere that i believe almost nine percent ninety percent of native populations die from diseases that they didn't were prepared for so the contact with with different cultures brought them death and pain and suffering yeah. in different ways so yeah. you, no. you know we treat these sensible topics uh with creativity as well perhaps you want to talk about that you want to explore this uh you can dm a sci-fi campaign where aliens are invading and you will treat these subjects without bringing this to, to everyday life and to sensible topics I, I don't know i just rambling on ideas well, no no okay. no, no i like you know, that I, I do think if you can pull it off the right way i think you have a whole new genre that's really not explored that that really could be yeah I, and I, uh i was while you were talking about it, i was thinking about it so um uh if you guys I, I heard you guys talking about marvel originally that's actually they uh they tweaked the origin story for um uh for the, uh, so yeah thank you 
Yeah, the uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't um, even seen it. I haven't even seen it. All I saw was one clip, and and they just have the Aztec sort of temple behind him. Yeah, uh, but no, they that well, I don't want to. I'm not spoiling anything for you. The origin story for Namor is colonial horror. It's exactly what it is. Um, yeah. So that was, uh, and I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people, that's that's you know that that's a a depiction that again is is not commonly thought of, but um, you know people are only vaguely aware of like. In uh, in North America, one of the things that they've you know kind of studied and pointed out is like you said, um, the initial contact with the Europeans wiped out you know some massive percentage of the the Native American tribes in North America, and that directly directly allowed for the European colonization because you went from having uh, you know uh, you know tens of millions to having you know very small populations, very isolated, and it it facilitated um, you know colonization. So. That's uh, again. It's another horror thing that oh, people that was, don't uh, that consider. Was a, that was also a good, uh, like a. What do I want to say? The the setup for Black Panther and everything going on to put that theme in that story works there as well. As well, like Gabriel was saying about delivering it the story well and in the right way, tastefully is, uh, and for a role playing game is tricky too. I think that makes it a little more difficult than a yeah. movie. Yeah. Oh, fair know, enough. You're just showing what you want to show. A role-playing game, you're sort of giving someone leads yep. where you want to lead them. Uh, right. Well, uh, before I dive into the the cultural questions, let me ask you guys. So you're working on this. You have this crossover coming out between Spelljammer and Ravenloft, and and I heard uh, one of you discuss your campaigns where they had destroyed the demi plane and are now traveling the multiverse. So what was the inspiration behind that? And, um, you know, do you have any anything that, that led you guys to do that as a crossover, that specifically? Because it's an interesting mix, and I'm, I want to hear about it. Well, the, the idea for the, the crossover came from, from many reasons. Uh, the first one uh, was that Spelljammer was just released for 5th edition. So it was on the news, uh, everybody was talking about Spelljammer. And also, Ravenloft has many domains from other settings. You have domains from mm-hmm. Forgotten Realms, from Dark Sun, but there was nothing about Spelljammer in Ravenloft. Except for Tulan, that, that's not explicitly a, a domain, it's ju- ju- just a mention. And. I was reading the the creature book of the new Spelljammer. Mm-hmm. I was reading about the space clowns, and the book says that they they were followers of a god of joy, and they drink the an elixir that mutated them into space clowns. And I told, mm-hmm. well, the the guy who created that elixir would made a, a great dark lord. So I decided to create a domain. Mm-hmm. I, I talked to Gabriel, and he had the idea to to put the classical domain of Bloodspur on the moon. And then we talked to Pedro and with Rafael, and we decided to create many domains in space. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit a megalomaniac, so... Um, Leandro, <laughs> Aren't we all? Leandro phoned uh, 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 me and say. Oh, let's do one or two domains. Uh, I have some ideas, and let's launch in in 15 days. I will re- write them, and we launch. And then my head start to 
to, to, to take a turmoil and I say, no, let's let's write 10 domains, make it a cluster. And <laughs> so it got bigger and bigger and bigger. But as, uh, as Leandro said, uh, Ravenloft is, is an interesting uh, cross path for D&D. Because just like Spelljammer and Planescape is a place where the, the settings meet. Uh, but different from uh, Spelljammer and Planescape, that they are ways to go to other settings. Uh, in Ravenloft, you meet there, but you, you do not leave. Once in the mist, you are trapped there. So it's an interesting setting because you can go to Citicus. There is a, a, a Dragonlance domain, and there is Haslan that is inspired by the Red Wizards of Day, and Azalin from uh, Darkon is from Greyhawk. So you have every every setting of D and D has a small place in inside Ravenloft, but not Spelljammer. Spelljammer has just one character, uh, a vampire from a, a space vampire from a module uh, from Spelljammer named Tilan, who in the the end of the module is said that he's not dead, he is trapped by the mist and he goes to Ravenloft. But they, he hasn't had a, a domain there and, and there was no other connection to Spelljammer. So we went from there, uh, from Leandro's idea, and created uh, uh, other uh, ten, 10 domains in total to explore uh, the themes of space horror. There is a, a theme that is much there is much to explore in space horror. Space, uh, space is a is a very scary. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna lead into my next question. So so this is the thing I'm really excited about uh, about it is that you know when they were doing the first Dragon magazines when the first edition was out they were creating new stuff and coming up for these like ecologies for these monsters and stuff and you guys got to do this for this setting. What were your big, big influences in doing that? Because um, I'm sure you guys, 10 settings, you created some really interesting stuff. What, what did you tap into to do that? Well, uh, sci-fi horror movies, mostly. Uh, I did a domain that is inspired by the invasion, invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah, there is one domain. There is like the invasion of the body snatchers. The Dark Lord is a druid that has merged with nature on the planet to avoid it being destroyed by the scroll, the the orc fleet from Spelljammer. Mm -hmm. So she she merged with a body snatcher plant as well, and she start uh, replacing people with her her podlings. So there is their whole paranoia and fear of being replaced by, by an alien, alien plant in this domain. Uh, we have a domain inspired by uh, the, the character Tilan, that was the, yep. the original link from Spelljammer and Ravenloft. So we make the, uh, it a vampire domain, and it's a planet where there's only a small community of, of of living person, living creatures, uh, a, a city, and it's a it's a, a very cold planet, and we have uh, an infestation of vampires that live there. So I got inspiration to this from from uh, books like uh, I Am Legend, 
and from Richard Madison and uh, the movie Thirty Days Thirty, uh, 30 yep. Days of Night, the comic book and the movie, where people have to struggle in a in a frozen environment to fight off the the vampires. Yeah, your but, video your video on it is really really good. Uh, oh, thank you. you. You really go into that whole uh, how the different uh, it's like the different actions of each layer of vampire and then there's the vampires versus the vampires that were vampires yeah. that don't want to eat vamp oh it's great it's great <laughs> sorry but it's really neat neat concept uh with that character that they had kind of set up you guys really fleshed that out great oh thanks uh when we were creating tilan we thought what an interesting curse he, he she could have because the character just tried to create a world where he would treat uh, the other races, living races, as cattle for vampires. But he was so careless doing in the process that he destroyed the whole world and uh, everyone turned it into vampires and the vampires started to hunting one another for blood when the, the living uh, all, all uh, went dead. So his curse in our book is to, that he, he must feed on other vampires. So now he, he must struggle. He's, he has to, at the same time, protect the humans uh, to create other vampires and hunt the vampires. It's, it's, a, it's a delicate it's great. It's, it's great. It's a very complex uh, food web of vampires, of yeah, different types indeed. of vampires. We have a few domains that are cosmic horror inspired. Mm -hmm. We have one that is inspired by, I don't know, uh, what is the name of the book in English? I think it's Chariot of the Gods, I don't know. Okay. Uh, from Edo, uh, one that, that talks that aliens created uh, uh, mankind yeah. and that the Sumerians were civilizations. Yeah. So yeah. We, we merged that with a little bit of Stargate and Spelljammer lore. Because in Spelljammer you have the Juna, there is a, a mythical race. They were the first explorer of space and they are uh, mysterious and no one knows about them. So uh, we created a Dark Lord, there is a, a Mercane or Arcane in the previous editions that collects ancient artifacts and he is trying to solve the mystery of the, the Juna. The, the Juna, Juna, I don't know how, how, is, how, how this is pronounced in English. And they, this got a whole uh, cosmic horror with uh, Stargate feeling to, to this domain. Okay. So there is a lot of, of different domains. Leandro did the one with the space clowns that we can we can go directly to space clowns from outer space to. Oh, oh, okay. You okay? You are okay. I, you are saying clowns, Payaso, right? Yeah. 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 Or, or you can go to to it the movie as as inspiration as well. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so. That's that's so great. Oh my gosh. Oh, and, and the domain that I, I I like the most from it is the domain of claw, is a domain where where other domains go to die. Uh, claw was in the second edition. It was a character from Ravenloft. It was a mad clock maker that created clock devices that would trap people's souls or, or, or drain their lives and something other uh, dark artifacts involving time 
And in fifth edition, uh, they have a, well, one or two paragraphs in the Benedictine Guide to Ravenloft, creating a domain of claw. There is like a black hole where other domains are uh, lost, domains are circulating to be devoured. So uh, we fleshed out this idea and we connected both. Uh, we created a backstory of how a mad clockmaker became like a wizard of Oz in the middle of a fake black hole where other domains are drawn to, to be devoured. That's awesome. That is, yeah, that's a really, that's a, that's a pretty awesome idea. So does he, so let me add, not, not to give away anything, does the mad, does the, does the madman at the center of all this, does he use the destroyed uh, universes to create new ones? Oh, the, the idea behind him is that uh, he created a device uh, that was first was, first it was a, a pocket clock. Mm-hmm. And uh, he could live forever if he, if he, he murdered people. Uh, and the clock would stop. And then he could he would not age and have all these amazing powers over time. Uh, but one day, uh, when he uses these powers, he must murder someone. And if he not murders someone in a small amount of time, he would die. This was the original character from second edition. What we did was that he, sometimes he, he did, once he did not kill someone in time, and his soul was dragged into the clock with the other souls that, that he had murdered uh, in the other times he used the clock. So the, the clock became a dark artifact, a dark uh, item in Ravenloft, until someone gave it to the, to the Vistani, and we have a, a tribe of Vistani that we created for the the, the dread space. They're all oh, the they mixed did. with the with the, the spell gem lore. We created a tribe of the Aperusa, and someone uh, give them the clock so they could throw it somewhere no one could find it, because everyone that get in contact with the clock would eventually uh, be possessed by his spirit. So they throw it in a dark region of space, but the clock still wants to be fed with souls. So it starts to grow bigger and bigger like a black hole. And now it is pulling domains to it so it can can feed on the souls of the the poor people that are there. Nice. That's pretty awesome. So do you have so I was the movies that the, the the two that came to mind when I was when I was when it hit on me that Obviously, like you know, sci-fi movies would be great inspirations to convert into fantasy. Was uh, obviously Aliens. Yeah. So you guys have uh, have that either in there already, or plans to work that in there? Maybe a uh, an interspace terror. We have a few ideas on how to explore uh, body horror uh, and this kind of Lovecraftian feel that the movie Alien uh, uh, brought. Yeah. And we are working on a product right now. Is It is a, a, a complement, a, a additional material to Dread Space. That is an adventure set in the domains of the Dread Space mm-hmm. uh, that we will explore just this team. Uh, you go to explore an abandoned ship in a, in, a, in a distant part of space. And there is something like there... I will, I, I will not spoil everything, but it's a little bit like Alien and a little bit like the game uh, Dead Space. Dead Space, okay. 
and involves a lot of body horror and, and yeah. He was talking about the clocks and space, and I keep thinking it was one of the Hellraisers where isn't like the spaceship is like a clock in outer space or something? And I just kept thinking, puzzle boxes, this it sounds all very intriguing to me, but there's so many ways to go with space. Um, I had actually homebrewed um, one of my uh, evil characters tomb is on a meteor flying through space so it was like you had to get to this thing that's like hurling through space and then explore inside of it like just it's just so much you can do uh have you guys considered any of that like star trek giant amoeba thing we talk about body horror like reverse it uh with the mega horror uh versus we're the tiny thing or Fantastic yeah, voyage-ish. Uh... The whole idea of uh, of um, space horror domains uh, involves the exploration of a no part of space. So uh, the cluster, uh, you, you can use the domains in different ways. You can use like the fifth edition one you use. There are domains that they are separate and don't doesn't have much connection with each other, but we presented them as a cluster. So. Every domain is connected, and there is one big domain that connects them all. There is like a, a mega domain, and, and this one has a lot of different and, and, and distant parts that are not explored. So uh, you can go there, and you created uh, some kinds of like hub cities that you can visit uh, to explore. So it doesn't need to be an experience uh, that you have to be on one shot adventure. Right. You can have uh, other, a long campaign set in space and exploring horror. We even create a, a connection to the core. Uh, th this is not an idea that, that we had. Uh, uh, some, some other fans of Ravenloft have this idea before of, putting the, uh, of setting the domain of Bootspool, the Mind Flayer domain, in the moon of the core of Ravenloft. So we, we expanded this idea and you can if you find the ship in the coral river loft you can uh, go to the to the sky and and reach the moon of Bloodpool, and beyond the moon you reach the dread space so we, we try to connect all the domains in a in a single uh, area sandbox a, a yeah. space sandbox to explore it's like a pentagram everything sort of crosses over into each other yeah. Right, right. Yeah, you said about uh, Hellraiser. One of yeah. the ideas we, we, we set in the. We, it, we, after each domain, there is some uh, adventure hooks that you can explore. So, how to how to bring your players to, to this domain and how to explore the domain. And one of the ideas I got to, to Bloodspool is one that I use in my campaign. Uh, how do they get to this alien domain full of mind flayers? So in my campaign, uh, and we put this idea in the book as well, there is like the the Lament configuration, the, the box from the Hellraiser. And there is a legend that if you if you uncover the configuration, the puzzle, you could escape Ravenloft or you could get right, psionic right. powers or something like that. But it's a trap, and when you <laughs> find the configuration, you are taken to Bloodspool, where the mind flayers 
Yeah. Uh, you devour us. Oh, you know what? It's funny. It took forever to, to <laughs> unlock the configuration. You must have a good ring to it. It's funny. Pedro was not able to come back with us after our technical difficulties, and he was mentioning that he was the young guy, and you guys were saying you're the old guys. So, so is that like a cross thing too? Like we've noticed that the old guys here, Merwin, are you going to ask your question? Let them die, or yeah, I was that was I was waiting for. Let's I was right waiting it. for the right opportunity. So, this is it. This is it. all right. Well, uh, so real quick, the uh, the other movie I thought of was um, oh, okay. He's uh, back. Was no Event Horizon. Are you familiar with that one? Yeah. That's that is such a. I'm like I, that's the one that hit me. I'm like I go, oh man. I go that's. I didn't like, want to say it. The dread of like that that movie inspires is such a feeling of dread. It's perfect for this. Anyways, yeah. So the uh, so the the question I ask everybody, uh, and I have a, a more elaborate one for you guys, but uh, one of the questions that I bring up is a very simple thing with your DM style, and it, it plays into a bigger thing. Is when it comes to the players, do you strive to keep them alive, or fuck it, if they die, they die. What are your what are your style? What's your style and thoughts on that? Especially since you're playing a horror game. Well, uh, what I do in my campaign is a long campaign, and uh, a campaign I, I like uh, more narrative elements mm-hmm. than uh, more role play than 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 combat. And to do a long campaign, the characters need to to evolve and to and to create connections. So uh, you have an interesting question, how to explore horror in this situation. Uh, I don't use a light hand, so it's not easy to them, uh, but I also don't strive to kill them. I like to, to do more of a consequence game. So they are they are difficult moral decisions to make. Sometimes they is the easy path is to do something evil to to fight evil, mm-hmm. the hardest hardest path is to to strive to to keep good, and everything is in a gray shady area, and everything has consequences. So uh, I don't strive to kill them, but I make their lives miserable uh, in another others uh, kind of ways, and I like to. Uh, Make the, the characters suffer consequences for being revived, for example. Yeah. Just well, like uh, Beric Dondarrion on Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Yep. Came back, they are a little less than they were yep. before. And they became to, to feel like the very monsters they are fighting and question if it's it all worth it. Should we keep this, yeah. this insane fight against evil, against madness? Should they corrupt themselves? So I, I'm rambling on. No, no, you're good. I was no, I was going to say this. The the point you're hitting on, and it's it's a brilliant one when it comes to horror, mm-hmm. is that you're you craft your narrative so that well, they suffer more for surviving. Like they them living right. is the suffering. Dying would be dying would be the the way out for a character. Yeah, it's it's exactly. surviving and then going on and then having to deal with the consequences of what they've done. Mm-hmm. That is the real horror that you know you're you know dying again. Dying would be a way out. So, Leandro, do you do something similar? One thing uh, about horror is that we discover that there are things worse than death. And as Gabriel said, uh, I'm also a, a role-playing guy. I'm, I'm not a very fan of combat. 
I think combats must be in very specific situations. And in Ravenloft, you discover that some things you can't just kill. Some things you must defeat in other way. And, and the Ravenloft setting, it has the, the madness, the horror, and the mm -hmm. fear shed. And these things, they leave scars on the characters. And I think this is more punishing than killing. And there is an, an interesting story that happened in my campaign. There was a character, and this character, his objective was to find the soul of his dead wife. And once they, they were fighting a, a night hag, a famous night hag of Ravenloft, called Once they, they were fighting and, and the, when, when they were fighting Styrix, they discovered that she had the, the character's wife, Soul. And I remember and the, the, the player, he said to the witch, well, you want souls? Uh, I will give you my soul if you release my wife's soul. And the witch accepted since his soul was more powerful. And the, the player looked to me, he gave me his character sheet, and said, okay, I, I deliver myself to the witch. That was a memorable death. Right, right. I, I think in horror and deaths uh, must have a meaning. It, it must be something dramatic. No, not just, uh, you died fighting with a goblin. Right, right. Yeah. Not necessarily. If you're doing in one shot, then it's okay to just kill them in the most dramatic way as possible. See, they are <laughs> old school. They are old school DMs. See, I, it's it's hiding in no the... no mercy for them. I was reading about the alien RPG uh, from Free League, and they had a, a a mode of play that is called the cinematic play mm -hmm. to play just like the movies. Well, well, you're gonna die to the aliens. It's just how you're going to die and how spectacular <laughs> it's going to be your death. Right, <laughs> Perhaps right. Perhaps you live. Perhaps you are Sigourney Weaver. But uh, probably everyone will die. And I think these one shots are, are also a great, uh, great, lots of fun to do horror one shots uh, with that in mind. If the players agree, you know that uh, this will be this kind of game. But to a long campaign, I think the the solution is to to make them suffer in other ways. All right, I just got another player for the basement of Arcane Secrets. I'm working on one just like that, Gabriel. It's just going to be a basement of Arcane Secrets, and you just go in, and I'm not worrying about CR or nothing. It's just. <laughs> Gonna be arcane craziness. I I, I, I love. I, I like your idea. I love it. It's the Dark Souls styles of play. <laughs> yeah. There is this region. You go there if you want. <laughs> That's you right. Don't, this don't is not. This is not going to end well for you, no matter what you choose to do. <laughs> but no, we uh, we so we had a so we've had a couple of conversations about horror style games, and uh, I agree with you. The um, the the combat element of the game. Um, really goes a long way to kind of detracting from the tension and the mood because uh, if it's got hit points, you can kill it. You know, and 
that I think that pulls a lot of players out of the the right headspace for a, a good horror session, because then they're they're thinking about how they're gonna you know they're gonna use all their flashy abilities and everything to mm-hmm. to you know to to murder whatever it is, and then it just becomes a uh, you know it becomes math and stats at that point in time and it loses the the kind of feel. But um, one of the things that's a struggle is, you know, how do you get people invested that deeply so that having you know having that consequence for an npc or a long-term story really has an impact where they where they will struggle with it as opposed to just saying well it doesn't really affect me you know how do you guys get that kind of buy-in from your players i know you've had long-term people and but some short-term people as well how do you get everyone into that mindset what's your uh you know how would you teach someone to run a horror session successfully well, I, I think uh, a horror session is all about the mood of the of the the, the game. Uh, it's it's good to have the players on the same page. So if someone is expecting to slay dragons and be the right figure, and you are playing a horror game, it probably will not work for both of you. Uh, the DM will be frustrated, and the player will be frustrated as well. So uh, from the start, you you got to do. Talk to your players, see if they like this kind of game, uh, this kind of proposal, and if they like, they they must commit to it because uh, horror is a different, is a difficult thing to create the the mood, the the ambiance of horror, and it's easily breakable. If someone is telling jokes and is, is not paying attention, then then it all fades away very quickly. So it's got to be a. a, a gaming contract <laughs> yeah. uh, an agreement with the players to to do this kind of experience uh, and when it works it, it is great uh, what I do to to invest them uh, I really uh, try to to work with them with the background of the characters to give them uh, a lot of motivations as a character to go on in this horrible experience and and plan some twists to their stories and the main story to to make everything tangled so uh every time they advance they are pulling a knot from the 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 stangle and and revealing some other horrors and secrets of the main storyline of the of their personal objective objectives so it's all mingled together in some sort of way and the the question about the the combat the math of the horror mm-hmm. how how it's it's uh, it's a problem to horror uh, what I think uh, the second edition did in a great way is uh, giving uh, the monsters the spotlight in the Van Richten guides for example uh, you could not just kill a ghost you have to search the the history the the mystery about the death to see which kind of weapon would strike the, the creature. So it's, it's not just, ah, I'll, I'll send a fireball on the creature, I will strike it with a plus three sword. This will not work. You have to, to discover uh, this weakness or the reason why he's there. And with the Van Richten guys to Ravenloft, almost all the, of the main gothic creatures got a treatment as this. So uh, perhaps a werebeast cannot be defeated if you don't have the right allergen and it's not always silver 
and the ghost must have his mystery death solved to so he can find rest. Or the vampire is a different kind of vampire that that feeds right. on souls and and is not hurt by sunlight. So you always keep your players on the edge of their seat because they don't know what they are dealing with. Uh, so uh, yeah. it's, I'm rambling on again. No, no, you're good. I'm going to switch gears on you now. Um, so we've been talking a lot about Ravenloft and horror and everything else. And I, I, and your friends here tonight, we've all met you as a YouTuber. So you are, you do produce YouTube videos. You're, um, we've had a few YouTube uh, people on. What do you say to other YouTubers? Um, what can you tell us about it? Uh, you can ramble on. We want to hear about it. Uh, tell us something. Well, when when I began to, to do the videos, uh, I was uh, watching YouTube channels about lore of d and uh, for this research I was doing for the the whole uh, yeah, much like of yeah. hoping that my players are. So I, I was researching about uh, Dragonlance and Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms and almost all of all, all, all channels of YouTube lore are about Forgotten Realms. There are just a few videos here and there. There are about other settings. Uh, they, they are the Mr. Glenn Welch that has a, a Mistaros a, a YouTube channel. There are a few on Dragonlance, but they are most almost known on Greyhawk and Dark Sun and Planescape and Spelljammer. There are settings that I also love. And it was known of Ravenloft as well. So I decided to make a channel about the, the lore of Ravenloft to to, to talk about the, the, the setting that I'm so passionate and, and, and about. When did you see that really like start to, you know, I always talk about, you know, you start a creative process, you make it, it's, it's just some of yours. When did you start getting recognized and start getting all these followers and all these people talking to you? When did that really kind of click in? Well, I'm still a small channel. Uh, we have, uh, I think, like 3,000 subscribers. It's, it's, it's a good number of subscribers, but uh, if you see other channels about lore of Forgotten Realms, the, the most famous ones, they have like 100,000. And uh, so Ravenloft is still a very uh, niche community. And it, it has a fan base is very, uh, it's not very large, or perhaps it's my, I don't know, when I started the, the, the channel, I decided to make it a bilingual channel because I want to speak both to, to my uh, uh, Brazilian uh, uh, community and the English community to have a, a, a wider reach. So uh, everyone told me I was crazy to do. I was crazy to do that because the algorithm will never understand why I released videos in in a small space and and get different uh, uh, ratings and different viewers for each video. So I don't know if that's a problem. Of the accent is a problem. Some people have told me that uh, my my accent is something that drives them away from the videos. Others have told me that it's something that gets them in the videos because it seems like I'm a foreign uh, uh, Vistani from from Barovia to them. I don't right know. to them. They're well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, so I listen, I listen to some of your stuff, and um, you know, it, it's good. Like it's it. There's there's a there's a level of detail to like I, I listened to the Gastria one. And that is, there's a level of detail that you go into that a lot of published material doesn't even have. 
you know, you'll get settings and cities and thing, you know, and locations in in published settings that have less detail than you put into that one domain in one video. So that's phenomenal. And uh, as far as the language goes, I know you referenced um, some of the channels that you watch, like Mr. Rex. He's got an accent. Uh, Monkey DM, that guy has an accent. So I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be a barrier to to success. I think it's with the quality of work you put out, the depth and passion you have for it. I think you just got to keep plugging absolutely, at it. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I think the the one thing I want to say, hats off to you. And uh, our our CEO just gave me admin rights for Facebook, right? And it's just this week I've been on. The one thing about you, I make a comment when I started commenting. You were there. You comment back to people. I, I felt like a person. And and I don't know, Pedro. You you said you met him through through YouTube. Did you kind of feel that too? That you're like right away in touch with somebody like real. I really felt like I was talking to somebody real right away. If that makes sense. So, yeah, so I, hats off. Uh, thanks guys. I, I like to, to, to answer everyone because uh, the, the biggest thing the channel ever got from me is to connect me with other people that have similar similar passions about uh, D&D and RPG and Ravenloft and horror and everything. It's not something that, uh, I, I don't know, you, you don't uh, like, uh, don't get many, I don't get at least uh, much money from YouTube. It's not something that uh, if you start want to start a, a YouTube channel, uh, you probably can, uh, uh, you probably must aim for that as well. But it's not something that I do for, for the money because it's not too much money that, that you get from the views. But the best thing I got from the YouTube channel is, is this, guys. is uh, talking with people from all over the world to, to, to talk about RPG, to, to connect with, with people from different cultures or different parts of, of, of the world and share this passion. And with Leandro and Pedro and Rafael, who is not here, it was the same. We connected because of the channel. Uh, somehow they, we reached for each other in the comments of a video or something like that. And from that was born the Black Feather, the project to create uh, DMs Guilds uh, books about the setting of Ravenloft. And uh, I spell German in the case of Adred Space. So. Um, it's uh, it's a, it's a, it has been an amazing journey to get over somewhere, just so we're aware. I think it might be Josh. Okay, I think we're good. Yeah, no, we're good. It's not in the recording, but no, it, I was gonna say that's the um, you know, I I know there's gamers all over the world and people online has has really brought that out, but you know, you know, what are the odds that you, you know, again, you you know, you have this passion for this setting, and like you said, you found. Not, you know, not one, not two, but a whole group of people, you know, from where you're at that share that kind of passion. And you found enough people like Leandro and Pedro and, uh, you know, that, that you can begin, you can have people to work on this with you. And you guys are, I mean, obviously you're in different cities and cities and states in Brazil, but, you know, you're still in that same area. You had that same background. It's, I can, I can tell you, I mean, it's, it's hard finding people that share your geekdom to the same level you know, in major cities and, and here. So to find anybody is amazing to find three or four people that you're going to work on a project with. That's phenomenal. And like I said, your guys work so far has been 
uh, amazing. I look forward to the you know checking out more videos. I like the I like that. I'm a I'm a lore horror. I love that shit. And uh, I'm I'm the kind of player that would you know like I want to know, you know, dig into things like you were like so the the uh, Gastani or yeah the Gastani one you that I watched. You know, you're getting into like the, you know, the the food has no flavor and how that would affect how that would affect things and the weird, you know, oh, so you'll find dishes with strange things combined because there's no taste to it. You know, I was like, this is such a like a good little detail. So, yeah, I uh, I have to thank uh, people that have written for Rivenoft for many years as well, because uh, my work is to condense the information and present it in an interesting way. So I create these na little narratives at the beginning and end of the video. So this is like uh, uh, the viewers are traveling with the characters through Ravenloft. Yeah. But uh, the Ravenloft setting is so rich. And if people like my videos, uh, I, I put a little bit of myself in them. But there is also a lot of, of material that were created or written by the authors of the setting or by the fan community, Gastrio, for, for instance. Yeah. In one domain that has not uh, a lot of development by the official sources. So I reach for the guys from the Fraternity of Shadows website. Mm -hmm. They have an, a netbook about Gastria. So uh, uh, I'm incorporated uh, what they written in the, in the source to create a more interesting video. Yeah. So uh, if the channel is interesting, it's for these guys as well, uh, for the material they wrote as well. Well, I'm going to say this, Merwin, too, because well, you know, I'm a big fan. His little, he was just talking about his putting those intros and extras for his mm -hmm. stories. Man, those have been such great creative jumps for me when he just, I don't even want to go check out his channel if you're a Ravenloft folk out there. You got to check it out. Please, please. Smash his buttons for him. Smash his buttons. All right, so before Doc explodes out of his chair and you guys fall asleep because it's it's ridiculously late where you're at, I appreciate you hanging out with us. Um, I have a I have a, a real world gaming kind of question that I, I want to get your input in because obviously you know you have a different cultural background than than we do. Um, if you listen to, if you listen to this channel at all, obviously or this show at all, you'll know that I have a, an extra grind with Wizards of the Coast. Um, I don't, you know, I don't like a lot of the decisions and the reasons behind them. I don't like some of the mechanical stuff they've chosen to do. And um, obviously the OGL thing, I'm not going to bring that up again. I saw that in the start of one of your videos. Um, but I do have a question for you guys. Um, with some of the recent controvers controversies that have come up, I wanted to see what your guys' take was on two things. One is, you know, how do you feel about... Um, the settings and Ravenloft has a couple of these um, where it does directly create a real world analog. So in the case of um, Ravenloft, you have the Vistani, which are, uh, you know, there's, there's no get, there's no getting around it. That's a real world analog to, you know, Romanian gypsies in Europe, you know, and it, it has become problematic with uh, American culture where people are, you know, saying, well, that can't be in there or it's insensitive because, some people who bring their own baggage to the game are shitbags, unfortunately, and will, you know, take license to, uh, you know, work in their own um, insensitive ideologies. I guess we'll leave it at that. Um, you know, so we're going through that here with everything, uh, movies and media. But the Vistani was one from Ravenloft where they have always existed. 
there's some of the cooler characters. It's a main character in the Curse of Strahd campaign is, is Vistani. The whole tarot reading that they do, or Taroka, I think it's called, right? Um, yeah. in, in the setting, then all of a sudden it became a problem. So what are your guys' thoughts, you know, not being Americans, not being from our craziness that we're going through? Um, when you see something like the Vistani, or like you said, the, the Domain of Dread that is uh, analogous to, you know, Mesoamerica, or you know, Central America and South America, um, do you guys see a problem with that? Does that bother you that, that there are real-world analogs to some of these things that are clear? Or do you guys, does it just not, not something that bothers you guys? You want to go first, Leandro? Well, uh, I I don't see any problem to be honest. Uh, maybe maybe this is just me, but I I I think we, we must separate uh, fiction from reality. Yes. Yeah. What's in the books is just a game. It's not the author's intention to offend anyone or to make comparisons or they they are just creating fantasy. It, it, it must be inside the game. It's not the intention of the author to, oh, let me attack some people, let me attack someone else. So I, I, I easily can, can separate things. I know that there are people that may be offended, and I respect everyone's point of view, but I particularly don't, I don't get offended by, by these questions. Yeah, one thing, uh, uh, one thing I would like to say is that this craziness that you're describing to happen in North America is happening here as well. So I think it's a whole world situation. It's not just, I don't know the whole world, but it's, it's a very American North and South uh, situation. What do you think about this? Uh, is that the Vistani is a good example of how things were treated in a certain way. They change it and they, they, then they get back to where they started once more. In the first Ravenloft uh, adventure, uh, the Vistanis were there because they were uh, Ravenloft. The, the adventure Ravenloft was inspired by the book Dracula. Mm -hmm. In the book Dracula, uh, the Romani served the, the vampire count. Right, right. So that's the inspiration for the Vistani. And they, they come from the literary inspiration. But when the first Ravenloft uh, setting, the Realm of Terror, the first camping setting was, uh, was released, they described them as, as vagabonds, and that most, almost all of them served the vampire count. So when the setting was evolving uh, in the second edition, uh, the Vistanis get a, a, a better treatment over the products. So when the Van Richten Guide to the Vistani came out, so you have a, a, vampire, a, a Van Richten Guide that is destined to monsters came out, uh, you think, well, they are treating them like monsters. But what happens in the Van Richten, Richten Guide to the Vistani is quite the opposite. They describe their cultures, their different cultures, their different uh, lifestyles, how they, 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 they see life, how they, they, they live, how they live, what, what they trade, how is their the day-to-day living. And the, the Van Richten guides are written in the perspective of the character Van Richten. So in the first uh, in the first person, and the Van Richten uh, he lost his sons, uh, his son Erasmus to the Vistani, and he has a very strong feelings about them. And the the story arc of the book 
is the Van Richten getting to know the Vistani and discovering that they are not single-minded servants of darkness, but they are real people. And in the end, he, he has a curse that Vistani has put on, 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 on him. And in the end, he makes peace with the Vistani uh, from the tribe that has put the, the curse on him. And he's finally released from his curse. So there, there is an interesting uh, uh, way to deal with the, the whole Vistani uh, 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 problem, to say, if you see a problem in that, there is a whole uh, uh, long way they treated the characters. And then when 5e came back in Curse of Strat, in Curse of Strat, uh, they described them again as vagabonds and servants of the Count. So I, I don't see a problem with real world references, but I think in this case, uh, the setting tried to oversimplify things and, and it take a steps back from a law that previously existed and that was not problematic in many ways right, anymore. Right. Except right. the Vistani after the Van Richten Guide to the Vistani is sort of a book that says, well, oh well, we, we treated, we retracted, we, we painted the the Vistani as Romani inspired people. Uh, but then, but then, that, that's what I was gonna say. They built. They were Romani inspired, but then they actually built them into something that was theirs at that point, and then yeah. backpedaled it when they got to fifth. It sounds like yeah. and just went back again. Yeah, well, that's the uh, that's the dirty flip side of the um, of this of that particular um, madness um, that, that grips the world. Is this uh, is they do all the you know is that they they. On, out of one side of the mouth, they're talking about, um, you know, respect and 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 uh, you know cultural heritage and whatnot, and then and then on the other side, they constantly ref, like refer to people these as these monolithic blocks, like you said. So they go from being, uh, you know, they they talk about you know wanting to uh, support all this stuff. You know, but then all of a sudden, they, like you said, they go from being a, a deeply detailed and enriched culture that's part of the Ravenloft setting, which has nuance to it and, and layers, and then they go right back to them being, like you said, vagabond servants of the of, of the counts with nothing. There's like that's just what they all are. Yeah, and what what I think is a uh, to, to summarize, I, I talk I talk a lot. You probably have noticed that. Everyone oh, so 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 do I. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But it's to okay. summarize, I don't see a problem with with uh, retracting real world people. I don't think just uh, people from that culture should write about that. How, how do you create a, a, a setting with different cultures if only the Romani authors can write about the Romani, Romani inspired people? And only, I don't know, only South American authors can write about a mm. uh, 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 Brazilian domain. Uh, mm. I understand uh, the world is changing, but this is kind of nuts. Uh, no one can create anything, and the, and the, the result is that we do not get uh, a cultural reference in by by that. Uh, there will never be a Brazilian domain if only Brazilian authors can write about right. a Brazilian <laughs> set. Uh, imagine you you want to create Raven of the different uh, world cultures, and you got have to hire an, an author for each country, so. No one is offended by what you're Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Imagine if someone had said to you, "Well, hang on a second. Uh, you, you can only play Ravenloft if you use the jungle setting. That's a Brazilian analog. You can't play in the European horror setting because that's 
No, no, you can't. You can't create for that. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? What you know? What are you doing? And then, um, just uh, an expansion to that same topic, though, is that obviously this is this is not. It's not limited now to the analogs, like you said, the Vistani being the Romani. Um, it's expanded out now to the assumption of it. So, uh, you know, the, this I, you know, and I'm curious where you guys stand on this because. Um, it seems like the modern sensibility is that nothing and no group can just be evil. Even though we're in a fantasy setting where there are, there's magic. We have invisible sky wizards running around, um, you know, corrupting elves to turn them into orcs. That's the, that's the Tolkien basis for orcs. Um, the drow, their society is dominated by a demon queen who is who has her 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 influence in every level of their society that you know and that's you know that's why the drow are evil is the is the influence of that goddess right uh and then the most recent one was spelljammer was the hadozi because someone read that and said well uh if they were enslaved ever then they must be an analog for x y or z and we can't have that it's offen- it's culturally offensive and, and whatnot so i wanted to get your guys thoughts on that because People are, it's a two-part question. One, with stuff like the orcs and the drow, where people are kind of forcing this idea that, no, no, they were always, you know, orcs were always racist against black people. Or in the drow, they're only evil because they're dark-skinned. Uh, that kind of stuff. That that view, when the sources differ on that, um, you know, what are your guys' thoughts about the attempt to force real-world stuff onto the fantasy? And then second part of the question is... Um, you know, do you, you know, is it okay to have a purely evil thing in the game? Is it okay if the orcs in your setting are just, you know, they're purely evil? There's no room for the good orc to run around. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on the nature of evil and then obviously forcing these real-world um, things onto fantasy creatures? I personally don't like it. I think it... You can do this uh, if you are trying to give some nuance, just like Eberron did. Uh, Eberron is a nice, interesting way on how they they change the perspective. But it's a word thought about this way. So uh, if you look at Eberron, uh, the, the, the good guys are the orcs and the bad guys are the elves in, in a lot of ways. But it's a setting designed to, to make things different. To, it was conceived this way. I don't think we should uh, force real-world problems into fantasy worlds uh, because there is no stopping in that. Uh, you can say later that uh, a leech, uh, a leech, uh, a mind flayer is an enslaving creature, so it should be banished. I don't know. Uh, you can problematize probably everything today, and. Uh, I don't know there is, if there is a right answer to that. I think probably there is. I, I'm not a, a, a historical researcher, so I don't know what, what Tolkien was thinking when he created the orcs. Probably uh, Norse mythology or something like that. Oh, well, there, really well, a fan of this. But, well, he, uh, he, um, Tolkien fought, was in, he's fought in World War One. He was at the Somme. Um, some one of the nastier battles, and then he swore up and down through his life that the, there was nothing allegorical in his work. But I don't know how you can read Lord of the Rings and not see orcs 
and that drive for the industrial, um, you know, the drive to conquest and then the industrialization that they do. Not how you cannot see those as an analog to World War One Germany, the mechanized warfare and trying to dominate all of Europe with that technology, the tank, the, you know, the Blitzkrieg and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that's where the that's where that came from. That's my opinion from from my read of it. The orcs are Germans, or the Huns, World War One, um, you know, the German Empire. That's where I think he was drawing that from, because that's that's what at least that's what I see. Um, how it got to be shifted over to Tolkien's a racist and it must be black people. That I don't understand. I don't know how you make that leap when you have the source material right there, and you know what the man's real world experience was while he was coming up with and then you know prior to him writing the book so that's my opinion on it yeah, uh, i think that's it well, what i think is uh you should not try to problematize everything uh different people will also have different interpretation as well and if that doesn't work with your table do something else but yeah. i don't uh do as you like on your table you can it's your world you are if you are the dm you can you are the master of that uh universe so do as you like on your table but i don't see the reason to over problematize everything to did to to tell an, an example uh of something that is uh is strange how wizard of the coast did and how they are not solving the problem you think about uh uh ravenloft 5e uh the van richten guide ravenloft uh, they told that they want to. They they were changing their characters to better represent the diversity. So you have uh, 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 more black characters, more more some genders were swapped uh, from male to female. Some characters are, are, are homosexual, and I have no problems with homosexual characters, nothing like that. And they say that they are they are creating. Uh, domains uh, to fit other tropes of horror in other parts of the world as well. Valakan became a jungle with dinosaurs. Uh, that's supposedly to reflect South America, I think. We don't have dinosaurs, but I'm not offended by it. Uh, I, I, I really hope that we should have, if you should have a South American or Latin American inspired domain, it would uh, be inspired by our culture. But we got a dinosaur. I mean, that's okay. That's that's, that's actually more. Yeah. That's actually more it's insulting. Okay. It's more. I, I'm insulting. not insulted by it. I, I think it's a lost opportunity to explore uh, uh, folklore and uh, other horror tropes we have here. But that, I'm not creating a problem over this. If if you want to play in Valakan with dinosaur like a a horror show, that's okay. It's your game. Your it's your imagination. Uh, you do as you like. You know, I'm think I keep thinking we're talking about all this. You keep saying Van Richten, and we keep saying tropes, and I, I I feel like you know we can't use beholders and we can't use this and we can't use certain things outside. But pretty much that's all they're doing. They renamed everything. They reskinned everything, and getting away with it. Um, it's just kind of bothered me. Sorry, I just had to say that out loud. So what you're saying, what you're saying is Wizards, who is staunchly, uh, staunchly in the diversity, equity, and inclusion camp, is in fact guilty of cultural appropriation on a massive scale for profit. Shocking. <laughs> and then, and then get mad at us when we try to create something. Of course. Uh, anyway, sorry. 
All right, so last question, and uh, you want if you want to take this one, Leandro, like I said. Um, so, you know, do you have you know do you have things that are pure irredeemable evil in the setting, or does everything have to be uh, able to be good, or can some things just be pure evil? Oh, I have no problem with things just being pure evil, but I think uh, uh, it's more fun when things are gray. At least in my campaigns, I like to. To, everything has different reasons to be what it is, and sometimes this is very particular of gothic horror. Uh, sometimes when you you fight in darkness, you see the a reflection of you, and that you are part of this darkness as well. So this is very common for gothic horror. But I have no problem with with things that are just evil, uh, and I think they fit well with with games of fantasy in general uh to have evil guys to be the sort of of source of problems of a dynamic way to explore the plot and the history and the the, the main objective to be fight off i see no problem in that what do you think Leandro? well um i also i, I see no problem in that in, in having evil evil creatures um like I said, it's fantasy. It's fantasy, and you are free to do whatever you think most funny. If you want to, to have a good draw, this the Urden. Uh, if you want to have a good orc, there, there's no problem. Uh, also, I think there's no problem in having creatures being evil, like demons, or even orcs, draws. Uh, I think the problem is when, when you try to force something. Like, oh, no, that, that, that creature cannot be evil anymore. Uh, I don't agree with that. But for, for Gothic Horror, I agree with Gabriel that the Shades of Grey are, are really interesting, especially for human characters. Yeah. It's, it's interesting uh, when you talk about how, to, how people try to force uh, real-world problems into fantasy and how everyone got different interpretations of the matter. There is a... a a history here in Brazil that a famous writer, I forgot his name right now, but there was the this exam they were doing for people who wants to get into universities. And one of these exams have has a question about what did the author think when he created this 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 literary work? And lots of people told different things, different interpretations. And they asked the author and they said, you're nuts. I, I, I never thought about this. <laughs> so uh, everyone can extract something from a, a, a work of art. And, and that's your perspective. And that's the interesting thing of art. It influences people in different ways. And everyone sees something different. And that's part of the beauty of it. But if you not tr should try to impose your view as the only one acceptable, uh, to art, and that's part of the problem that you talk about. I view this as a representation of this kind of people, of this world problem, and because of this, I, I will join people together to boycott your 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 product. Perhaps other people see different, and we must respect that. Uh, and if you don't like it, okay, you sh you you might play the way you wanted. But you should not try to impose this to other people. That's well said. We uh, we had a uh, uh, some ruffled feathers in uh, in our Discord. There was uh, 
a less than nuanced take that somebody threw out there about uh, needing that you like you needed to have the um, you know you needed to have um, essentially racism in the game for it to be right. And uh, it, again, it's, that's not a very nuanced uh, nuanced uh, view. Um, I think just being as gracious as possible. I think what they meant to say was you can't force that out of the game on a on a on a macro level. You can't you shouldn't as the creator of this infinitely malleable uh, and infinitely um, person you know customizable space say, well, you can make anything you want except you you can't have dwarves hate elves. Or you can't, like you said, you can't have all orcs be evil. Well, I like, think it, it's just, it also goes back to what Gabriel was saying. Like during colonial times, there was a clash of different cultures that could be part of your campaign or whatever. And again, it's everybody at your table, and you've all sat down there, and you know what you're all yeah you're all in for. Yeah. So I think yeah, I think where they go wrong is is like I said, trying to force uh, force um, absolutes. You know, in you know, into the game, it it needs to be that open space to be what it's going to be. And like you said, you know, your your table is okay with colonial horror. Other people may never think about it, and some people might have a problem with it. But if the creators of the game say, "Well, you can't do this," you know, I think that's the uh, that's the wrong approach, and it also creates a, a, an environment where somebody can use that official ruling to kind of club people into changing the stories they want to tell or the kind of game they want to have, and. Uh, giving people the ability to be uh, to be toxic is never a good idea. So, all right. Well, hey. So we are we're we hit like the two and a half hour mark despite having massive technical issues. Uh, I know it's late for you guys. I really appreciate you coming on and hanging out. I've had a good time talking, and I, I yeah, like getting the different perspectives. And Doc, like I said, Doc has been geeky about this for weeks. <laughs> uh, he is a he is a uh, a raven uh, a ravino file. I'm not sure if there's a, a term I, for it. I, for that sounds it, but pretty good. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, again, man, uh, I think your videos are great. I love that lore kind of stuff. Uh, I look forward to to checking out what you guys are creating because again, the uh, the whole idea of that horror in space thing, I, I, you know, seemed odd at first. And then I got thinking about the movies that we all talked about, and I'm like, no, that's a great setting for fantasy because it's something that we don't have. Whew. All right. Well, well I, internet- I wanted to say I wanted to say a special thank you to Gabriel for yep. coming on uh, and setting up uh, our dates. Um, and I just a little heads up: uh, next week we have D and D Blender, and we'll be in the UK. We'll be visiting the UK next week, so I'm kind of excited. We'll be in another time zone, and then the week after that, we're already confirmed with No Fun. <coughs> uh, do you guys are you guys familiar with No Fun? No, he, he also seen. does Ravenloft walkthroughs, so you have to check him oh, no. out. And he does uh, live uh, campaign stuff. Uh, I'm really starting to. I'm, at this point, I'm really starting to think that Doc has decided that I'm not interesting enough to talk to without having somebody else here. Apparently, apparently, I'm I'm not shiny and new anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just like to have people on. It's nice to be social. No, 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 it's good. And I, no, here's the thing. Uh, I joke about it, but I've, I've loved all these conversations. I like, I like getting to chat to different people because uh, the, uh, the gaming world is amazing. So 
All right, well, as we close out the show, hey, guys, I will give... Stop by our Discord anytime. Chat with us. Anytime. Oh, absolutely. So, hey, as we as we close out, uh, if you guys anything you guys want to say to the internet or you want to plug your channel again or things you got coming up, I'll give you the time to do so, and then we'll close this thing out. I'd like to say thank you to, thank to you guys for having us here. It's nice to, to, to talk about what we love. Games, uh, RPG... Movies. Uh, it's just it's just nice to meet pe- to meet people uh, and talk about these things. Uh, and it's, it's a great way to have a cultural exchange uh, to talk uh, with, with with people from different countries and different time zones. So so we can <laughs> That's right, yeah. the the subject. And I'd like to thank you guys for receiving us. And if you want to check out. Uh, um, our work. The Black Feather has one book yet uh, on the DMs Guild, the Dread Space, and I have the Hour of the Raven YouTube channel where you can check this long videos I make about Raven of Law. In depth. In depth. In depth. Yes. And you said you have a podcast too now. Have you started a podcast also? Oh, it's the same content of the videos. You just have uh, so people ask it's me to release them on audio format because they they like to hear me while they are walking or doing exercises right. or washing right. dishes. I don't know. Hey, well, let me let me tell you something, man. You know, you may want to think about uh, doing either live streams or a podcast where your community can uh, throw questions at you and you guys can develop stuff kind of in a real time setting. Because the, the lore videos are great, and I bet you guys have a lot of fans that would love to just, you know, get a crack at you and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Have you tried this? I got an idea for that. I loved this. You probably get a, a, get a lot of traction on that, you know. So if, uh, you know, something you can kind of add to your uh, your sphere of influence beyond just the YouTube, uh, put that out there. Yeah, definitely. Oh, great idea. I think about that. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, since Doc was super fired up to have you guys on here, I'm going to give Doc the last word. I just want to thank everybody who listened, uh, whether you're checking us out after the fact uh, on your favorite podcast app or you're watching uh, the live stream or you check us out on YouTube. Thank you very much. Remember to like, share, subscribe, tell your friends about it. And as I always say, we play the tabletop games because they are unlimited. So why listen to conversations that are any different? Doc, close us out for the night, friend. Hey, man, no matter how you start out, you always start out odd. But, you know, with effort and creativity, you always roll with initiative. All right. Thanks, guys. Good night, Internet. We'll chat with you guys in the Discord after this. Ooh. What's up? Say bye. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank oh it's been fun. <laughs>